Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro, the head women's basketball coach at Cleary University. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast, the podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Today, we are talking to Coach Elise Schlump. Coach Elise is currently the head women's basketball coach at Concordia University. This season marks Coach Elise's first season as their head coach. And she was hired as the head coach on July 1st. If you follow the WAC conference, you know that Coach has her team right in the mix in a highly challenging NAIA women's basketball conference. Coach Elise played for and graduated from Concordia. As a player, she was a key member who made a first-ever NAIA Division II National Tournament appearance in 2011. So Concordia is indeed home to her. Coach Elise returns to Concordia after four seasons as the Director of Basketball Operations at Marist College. And before her position at Marist, Coach Slump was the Associate Head Coach at Skidmore College for five seasons. In this conversation, you will hear Coach Elise discuss the impact her dad, Dave, made on her coaching career. It is a tremendous tribute. In addition, wait to hear Coach talk about her balancing of challenging her players and being their best cheerleaders, too. It is an excellent perspective into what makes Coach so successful. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Enough of Coach Joe. Let's get to Coach Elise Slump and share her story. Elise, why do you coach? I think I coach for a couple different reasons. I've listened to your podcast a lot, and I think the general theme of why everyone coaches is they want to make a difference in the lives of others. For me, specifically, college was such a pivotal point in my life. So to be able to have an influence on young women's lives in the college era is huge for me. And to be able to do that through the game of basketball, I mean, I just don't think there's any better job. Another reason why I coach is I'm extremely competitive. Doesn't matter what we're doing. I love to compete and I love to win. So this is just a great outlet for me in terms of that. And then I would say the last reason is it's really the only thing I've ever known. I grew up a coach's kid. So since birth, this is the lifestyle I've known and this is what's normal to me. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's talk about your dad, Hall of Fame coach, just retired recently. I know he's helping you now. How much much of an impact did your dad, Dave, truly have on your coaching career? Yeah, I mean, plain and simple, if it wasn't for my dad, I wouldn't be in this profession. Just from growing up, I would be in the gym with him every day, going to his practices. He was our boys varsity coach while I was growing up. So after school, I would meet him in the gym and I would sit there and I'd watch practice and I'd run the clock. And then on Friday nights, I would sit on the bench and I would have a front row seat and I was the water girl. So just, you know, being able to see him from a young age and see the work that he put in and the joy he got out of 
it, the highs, the lows, the differences he made in people's life. And then seeing him transition from that, going into the college game as an assistant to a head coach, back to an assistant, and then retiring. Just seeing the difference he's made in people's lives has just really influenced me. And I'm so lucky now that I've become a head coach back in Michigan. He has helped me with this journey from the interview process to the first day of practice to the first game. He lives actually two and a half hours away from me and he still makes it down to every single game and at least one or two practices a week. So to have him kind of mentor me now as a head coach and kind of, you know, let me vent to him to offer me some advice just to come watch practice and see what's going on. Like I would not be here if it wasn't for my dad and being able to have someone like him now essentially on my staff is the best coach that I know on my staff so I'm pretty lucky yeah for sure your dad has national championship experience I mean was a terrific Mm -hmm. head coach in this state what about your mom she played tennis at Central Michigan (laughs) your brother played basketball at Ferris we've got to know each other now for a few months now and I can tell you're a competitor like were you guys all competitors like what was it like growing up yeah I would my mom always jokes that she was the only D1 athlete in the family so she's got that on us all but my dad and I are super similar with personalities. We are both very fiery, intense people where my mom and my brother, they're kind of more laid back, but they still love to win. But even just coming back from Christmas break, we're sitting around the the dining room table playing Yahtzee and it's getting really intense and everyone's trying to win. So (laughs) growing up, it was for sure the same way. I think I take it a little harder than my brother did, but he was definitely somebody that was competing as well. So you talked about being a head coach. You're Year one is the head coach at Concordia. You played at Concordia. You're also a graduate assistant there. At least how much does it mean to return to Concordia? Yeah, Concordia means everything to me. I think obviously people's alma maters mean a lot to them. But for me personally, when I came to Concordia, I transferred there. So my sophomore year, we got a new head coach, came in the same time I came in as a transfer. We were not very good. We had eight wins that year. And we, you know, decided we're going to change this program around. And by the time I was a senior, we had over 20 wins and we made it to the national tournament for the first time in school history in any sport. So to have like such an impact on a program, it just makes the program mean that much more. And then staying as the grad assistant, having two more seasons with 20 plus wins, going to the national tournament back to back years. It's just like this program is everything to me because I've seen it go from nothing to a national ranked program. So then leaving, gaining other experience and now coming back, that's my goal is to get us back on the national level and to have every kid that plays for me experience what I was able to experience as a player. So to be back, it's just surreal and it's the best feeling. Isn't it kind of cool when you can go on campus and you know where everything is and you're like, or you can (laughs) share those experiences like, yeah, I lived in those dorms, but you might not want to live there. How does that play into like your whole recruiting pitch, just everything about how you love the school? Yeah, for sure. That to me is everything when I'm recruiting because I can just look at a kid and look at their parents and I'm like, listen, I'm not 
telling you something. I'm telling you my experience. Like mm. I live the same thing that you are going to live. And with my current players, it's funny because even just today after practice, we were talking about classes and I was like, oh yeah, when I had to fill my art requirement, I did art history and they're like, oh, you did this class too. So, you know, sharing that common bond, sitting in the same classrooms that they sat in. One of our transfers lives in Johnny dorm. And I was like, that's the dorm I lived in when I transferred. So just being able to share that bond with them and telling them like, hey, I'm not only your coach, but I'm also like an alum. So we are always going to be connected no matter what. We're always going to be sisters through Concordia Women's Basketball. And I just think that's pretty special. So I'm going to find out next year, but how good is the league? Uh, I think our league is awesome. It's one of like my favorite things is that any night anybody can win. I constantly like as soon as our game ends, I go and check the the WAC fours and I'm constantly surprised that oh so and so beat so and so oh they gave them a game and it's just you never know who's gonna win so you constantly have to prepare every single night and I just think that makes it so fun. So you mentioned you and your dad ultra competitive mm-hmm. whatever you do. Yeah. How does that resonate in your own coaching style? Yeah, I think my coaching style, I'm pretty intense. If you've seen my dad coach and you've seen me coach, we're kind of spitting images of each other. We get after it on the sideline. And I would say my style, I like to kind of classify it as I'm my player's biggest challenger, but I'm also their biggest cheerleader. So I'm going to push them. I am going to make them uncomfortable. I'm going to squeeze every little thing I can out of them, but I'm also going to celebrate them. I'm going to celebrate the things that we've taught them, the success they have on the court, off the court. And that's kind of just how I classify it. Your challenger, but your cheerleader as well. We're going to talk about your coaching experience here in a minute, but how did you prepare to be a head coach? Mm -hmm. I would say the experiences I've had at both Gidmore and Marist prepared me for this role. I was a division three assistant for five years and there's no better experience than working at the division three level. For me, it was myself and my boss at the time, the head coach, Darren Bennett. And we worked as a team, just him and I, no one else on staff. And so I was doing things at Skidmore that like some people at the division one level just don't do because they have numerous people on staff for that. And every year, Coach Bennett, he would give me more and more responsibility. So by the time I was in my fifth year there, you know, I knew exactly how to run a program because he was allowing me to. He was grooming me to essentially be the next head coach at Skidmore. Now, it didn't work out that that would happen. And I ended up going to Marist as a Dobo. And I'm so thankful that I was a Dobo before I was a head coach. And I was just telling somebody this the other day that I would not be the head coach I am if I was never a Dobo. I think that everybody at some point in their life should be a Dobo because the amount of work you do as a Dobo translates to being a head coach at this level, particularly because at this level, it's so much more than coaching X's and O's. It's, you know, you're an equipment manager, you're a recruiting coordinator, you're an academic person, you're the kid's mentor. You are so much more than a X's and O's coach. And I think sometimes people might say, oh, you went from Dobo to head coach. That's a pretty big jump. And 
it to me, it was vital that I was a Dobo before I was a head coach. So you're fresh off four seasons as a director of operations at Marist College. For a younger mm-hmm. coach, how did you approach going from being on the floor and being so involved at Skidmore and then going to maybe, you know, not being on the floor and technically, well, you know, obviously COVID was a little challenging, but making that transition now to being, you know, logistics, ops, things like that. How did you mentally just kind of shape or uh, attack that role? Yeah. So when I got the job at Maris, I was just basically like, I am so thankful to be at this program. Maris is, you know, they are known for women's basketball at the mid-major level. They've had so much success. So I was like, I'm going to do whatever they ask me to do. They have it figured out. They have it rolling. They don't need me to come in here and make suggestions. They don't need me to come in here and do this, that, and the other. They need me to make their lives easy so that they can just focus on coaching and recruiting. So that was my mentality. My mentality was I'm going to handle all of the little things, which as a dobo, you know, it's not necessarily little things, but I'm going to handle all the logistics so that they can just focus on what they need to focus on for us to win basketball games. And that's just kind of what I did. I put my head down. I went to work. You know, I would go talk to Coach Georges, ask him what he needed so that things could run smoothly. And it was anything from, hey, I need you to go get me a Diet Coke to I need you to make sure the players have this, that, and that. And I was willing to do it. And I think that's what makes a good Dobo a good Dobo is you just do whatever the program needs at that time. Has this approach helped with your organization now as a head coach? Oh, for sure. I am uber, uber organized. You could ask my players. I'm very detail oriented, whether it's on the court or it comes down to the way our locker room is organized. They know that my standards are very high in terms of organization and they know that if I walk in the locker room and it is not precisely clean that I'm going to be upset. So I think that my experience as a Dobo has definitely helped with my organization now as a head coach and I needed it too because you're just juggling so many things as the head coach one minute I'm planning a trip the next minute I'm making a recruiting call the next minute I'm reconciling my visa statement from the month before then the next minute I'm throwing the uniforms into the washer so it's just the things that I learned as a dobo have fully translated to being a head coach so you mentioned being at Skidmore two NCAA tournaments now that you think about it and you're a head coach now so you value your assistant coach but what do you think makes a really good assistant coach and what should she or he bring to a program yeah i think the first thing that comes to mind always when people ask what makes a good assistant is just simple loyalty i was super loyal to coach bennett at skidmore i didn't want to just go be an assistant at skidmore so that it could get me to the next job i wanted to help get him to the ncaa tournament he hadn't been yet in his career at skidmore so that was my mentality is what can I do to help this program? I wasn't every summer after season looking for the next job. I was trying to build at the job that I was at. First and foremost, I think loyalty is is number one. And then I would just say when I was at Skidmore, I was super self-motivated. So I would, you know, in the off season, find projects to do, whether it was doing a self-scout or, you know, organizing our locker room or whatever it was, I was coming up with a project to do and not waiting for Coach Bennett to, you know, kind of assign me something to do. So self-motivation, I think, is huge for assistant coaches as well. And then just not being above any job. You know, you've heard the saying before, like, sweep the sheds. To me, that's huge. And just doing whatever the program needs in order for it to be successful. You know, I'm going to circle back. You just said a word 
word that I really, really love. You talked about standards. You have standards for the locker room, standards for the program. Mm -hmm. Has this always been a staple of your coaching philosophy? Yeah, I would say that it was. I would say as a player playing for Coach Gorski at Concordia, she instilled these standards in us. And ever since then, they've kind of been a part of me and who I am and that, you know, hard hat mentality that she instilled in us as players and blue collar. That's kind of translated to me and my coaching philosophy and now into our players at Concordia. So I would say she was definitely somebody that has helped me come up with these standards for our program. So you mentioned challenging and celebrating your players. And then you also mentioned your dad being a sounding board, able to come down once a week, obviously at your games. Mm -hmm. This whole idea of in-game coaching versus practice coaching, is there a difference Mm -hmm. for you, if any, or are they very similar? Like, how's your approach? Yeah, I would say that it's very similar. And I thought about this before, you know, I even coached in the game and I leading up to the season, I was like, okay, I'm going to be the coach that's really intense in practice. And I'm going to really make my players uncomfortable in practice so that when they're in a game, it feels like nothing. And I'm going to, you know, kind of take a step back and be calm and cool on the sidelines. And (laughs) that couldn't be any more opposite of how I actually am. So when you ask me this question, and I think about it, to me, I'm very similar in how I am in practice and how I am in a game. I'm an intense person. I'm not going to lie. I am who I am. And my players know that. And I think that because I am the same way in practice, it's not a shock to them when we're in games. And I might, you know, get upset over a turnover, a a missed defensive assignment. So to me, I'm pretty similar with how I act in practice and how I act in games. And again, my standards, they don't change whether we're in practice or we're in a game. So I'm going to let them know if we're not living up to those standards. Mm, can't wait to coach against you. So <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun. Your huddle, get to a timeout. And I know we're going off the script, but I think this is valuable for younger <laughs> coaches. Like how do you approach a timeout? Yeah, I think there's a couple different scenarios when I do different things. So whether it's I called a timeout and I need to go over, you know, usually I'm calling a timeout if the other team has gone on a run and we need to stop their run and we need to figure out what's going on. So if it's that kind of timeout and, you know, we're talking about, hey, we're not getting in help or we're not doing this, this and that. And then we kind of reiterate what we're not doing and how we need to fix it. And then if it's a timeout where the other team has called the timeout and we're coming together and huddling, just reinforcing to our team like what we're doing well and why we're seeing success and why they might have called the timeout. So, hey, we've seen success because we're getting to the middle of the floor and we're making the extra pass. Like that needs to continue. So I think timeouts can be used in a couple different ways. And, you know, sometimes we don't even talk about X's and O's and timeouts and just like, hey guys, we need to get it together. Like what's going on? You you guys look like you're still in the locker room. So I think a couple different scenarios can be had during timeouts. So if I played for you and you challenged me and you challenged me to be the best. Like, you know, sometimes those are difficult conversations. How do your players respond to you? Like, do they know you have their back? Mm-hmm. How do you remain intense? But keep them mm-hmm. in tune are playing for you. Yeah, I think that it started in July when I got the job and I started building those relationships with them and just, you know, talking to them about things other than basketball, you know, talking to them about what their major is, where they come from, their families, what they like to do in their free time and just treating them like people and not just like basketball players so that when they got to campus in August and September, like we already had a little bit of a foundation. The first thing I did when I got the job is I set up FaceTime 
times with each individual kid and we FaceTimed for a half hour and just talked. We built that relationship right from the jump. And then when they got on campus and we started doing conditioning and weightlifting, just kind of easing into it. And these are my standards in the weight room. And these are what this is what I expect in open gym. And then before we start practice, having individual meetings and saying, this is what I expect of you. Like, do you understand this role that I, I see for you? And then just letting them know like, hey, I care about you. And that's why I want to be all over you. And I want to get the most out of you is because I want to see you be successful. And I think our players have understood that they have taken it full in stride. And they've loved the challenge that I've brought so far. They have been a great group to coach. I've been so lucky to have this group of girls for my first year as a head coach. So you're so familiar with the campus. You've lived the life. Mm -hmm. you've, you've walked their shoes. You know where everything is when kids come on visits. And then you spend a lot of time talking to kids. What did you develop your own recruiting philosophy? Yeah, I would say I'm lucky because every program I've been a part of, so whether it was when I was a GA at Concordia, when I was at Skidmore, or when I was at Marist, I've had in the back of my mind the same recruiting philosophy as the people that I've worked for, which is huge because it makes it so much easier to recruit for them. So every program I've been a part of, their recruiting philosophy has always been we recruit the person before the player. So we're not going to take somebody just because they might be the best player in the state. If they're a jerk or they, you know, don't coexist with our core values, like we're not going to take that risk of bringing somebody into our culture and messing that up. So I've been really lucky that that's always a part of every program I've been in where that's not always the case with people. So, you know, for me, it's been a part of me since I started coaching as a GA is recruiting the person before the player. So you're a world-class texter. I've never seen anybody respond <laughs> so quick. It's insane. That's hilarious. It's, yeah, I'm on my phone a lot. Yeah, it's like response time is insane. Saying, and then you apologize of like, oh, I'm in practice. And I was like, you didn't have to apologize. You're in this wonderful relationship. You have a wonderful boyfriend. Mm -hmm. You have a great dog. I love following you on Instagram. You know, today you're at the movies. You have practice movies. You're watching film. You're watching. You're tweeting about the Lions. Like, how do you have this balance <laughs> with your personal life? And then, you know, all these goals for your program and, and, you know, that entail about being this high level head coach. Yeah, I think it's important to have other interests or else you get burned out. And just like our players want to be treated more than just basketball players, I want to be treated as more than just a basketball coach. It's really important for me to just have other interests, other things I can talk about. Like I've met some coaches and basketball is their entire identity. And for me, it's not. And I think that's one of the great things about being at Concordia is like, it's not your entire life. Whereas it might be at the division one level, you know, I have other interests and some of them include golfing and playing pickleball because those both still let me be competitive. And like you said, I'm an avid Detroit Lions fan. So just keeping other things that, you know, keep my interest and keep me happy other than just basketball, because if basketball was the only thing I had, that would be my entire identity. And I just think that would be extremely unhealthy. So how did you have the nickname Google in college? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, my friends and my coaches, they would just always joke around that, you know, just ask Google because she knows everything. Well, it was kind of, it was just a joke, but whether it was like something on the court or my coach would always be like, oh, I don't remember what our goal was for this drill. Like, hey, Google, what was our goal? And so I would always remember just again, going back to my attention to detail. Um, I don't really forget a lot of things. So that's why they would joke like, oh, Google knows everything. She remembers it all. So that was. That's funny that you you found that. So, Elisa, I always end the podcast. What are some simple tips for young coaches? Okay, one of my big tips, and I can say this because I lived this when I was at Skidmore, is it is important for you to chase your passion and not your paycheck. So, you know, I was at the Division Three level for five years. I was not making very much money, but it's the place that I was super passionate about. Skidmore College at the time was everything to me. So I was doing whatever it took in order to be successful there. I was working jobs as a caregiver for a child with special needs. I was babysitting. I was, you know, doing skill workouts on the side because I was passionate about Skidmore. Whereas I think sometimes young assistants, they're just looking for that next job, that next job that's going to get them a little bit bigger of a paycheck. Whereas you should just look for that job that you're passionate about and build at that program. My other tip would be, and I, I think I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, is just don't be above any job. No matter what role you're in, you're not too big to do any job. And I can say that as well because I'm a head coach now. And I still do little things like the laundry. I still set up the scoreboard every day for practice. It doesn't matter if I'm the head coach. It doesn't matter if I'm the dobo or the assistant. You're not above any job. And I think that just goes down to one of my favorite quotes, which is, it's amazing what can be accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. And that's the kind of mentality you need to have as an assistant. You're not going to get credit for the wins. You're not going to get credit all the time for getting all these big recruits. But it doesn't really matter as long as you know that you know the program is getting the credit well your mom and dad should be really really proud they are <laughs> i'm really really impressed and i've been impressed since i first met you and i've been impressed with the entire league i, I don't have a similar relationship with all the coaches like i do with you but you just were mm-hmm. so welcoming to me and we just struck up a friendship and you know I, again if i could do a podcast with every coach in the league i would because that's how much i respect the league and i know it's going to be quite the challenge but you know that's why we coach against really good coaches and obviously yourself included in the rest of the league there's some really really good coaches in the whack i'm just mm-hmm. really appreciative of your time i'm a little nervous about coaching against you i just hope you don't come <laughs> after me in one of these timeouts but i am at least truly wishing you the best of luck the rest of the way and i'm so appreciative that you would take some time right before a conference game or conference season re-kicks back in the in the full swing to take some mm-hmm. time to help out young coaches No, I just got to say that I think that this podcast is awesome. I think what you're doing for coaches is awesome. And it's not just for young coaches. I I think I've listened to every episode. So and I've gained something from every episode. I have a little note tab in my phone that when I'm listening to this on the treadmill or in the car, I, I just jot down a few things here and there that I hear. So I think what you're doing is awesome. I'm excited that you're in the league. And you know, we've only known each other for a month or two. And I just think that you've already been a huge advocate and I'm, I'm just really thankful for that so thank you thanks coach yep enjoy your night that was a great conversation with coach Elise. One thing that bothers me about this podcast, my podcast, is that I've done a horrendous job 
of advocating women. That is women who are college basketball coaches. This is totally on me. And I apologize to all my friends who are women and who are crushing it as college coaches. Again, hopefully this episode will at least allow me to sleep a little better. As many know, next season, I will be coaching in the WAC Conference, where we have some outstanding coaches and some incredible coaches who are women. Someone asked me the other day, hey, Dro, why would you interview someone in your own conference? Well, then that person truly does not know me. If it was up to me, I would interview every coach in the WAC on both the women and men's side, totally at a different time in my coaching career, truly about advocating coaches. And the WAC Conference has some amazing basketball coaches, and I'm so eager to coach versus many of them. Coach Elise proves my point that the coaches in the WAC can flat out coach and lead. There are so many things that I admire about her. She's such a talented coach and such an incredible ambassador for Concordia University. I'm one of her biggest fans and so appreciative that we've been able to create a friendship over these past few months. Thank you, Coach Elise Schlump, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Stay safe, be you, keep coaching, and see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast. Thank you.